0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to uh, Essex Church, home of Kensington Unitarians, on this spring. It is spring, the wall hangings tell us it is true. This spring Sunday morning, wet and grey though it is at this moment. We meet here each Sunday morning throughout the year to spend an hour together in reflection. This is our opportunity to turn inwards, to quieten our busy individual selves for a while and to link in with something that is greater than just us, be that the power of community such as this or the power of the divine. Here in a Unitarian congregation, we're free to make up our own minds about matters spiritual and religious But we support one another in that journey, in our speaking and our listening, in our education programs and in our worship together. It's good to remember, I think, that we are not alone. In a world where people can forget to put out the chalice, it wasn't There's someone to help. This world can seem a lonely and fragmented place, can't it? And we are walking our individual paths through life, but I think we share that path. So welcome to Essex Church, and welcome to this part of the journey. Now here in Britain, we're in the middle of Fair Trade Fortnight, held each year to publicise the Fair Trade Movement. And this year's campaign asks us to take a step for Fair Trade. We've been doing that here at Essex Church for some time. Um, we're a church with fair trade status, and so we try to source as many fair trade products as possible. Just a few of them are there uh, in front of us. And this year's star item is a fairly traded cotton tea towel, which some lucky person may find that they've won at the end of today's service. <laughs> In our oft-times unjust world, it's good to know that there are people working for justice, working to remind us that we all are indeed one world, one globe, one circle. so this chalice flame invites you to come into this circle of love and justice. Come into this community of mercy, holiness and healing. Come and know peace in your hearts.
1: If the world were a village of a hundred people, this idea seems to have come from Danella Meadows' State of the Village report which was based on a village of a thousand people. The information was produced as a poster for the Earth Summit in 1992, and our version is adapted from a book for children by David Smith and other sources. Sixty-one villages would be Asian. Of that, twenty would be Chinese, and seventeen would be Indian. Fourteen would be African. Eleven would be European nine would be Latin or South American, five would be North American, and one of the visitors would be from the South Pacific. 33 would have mobile phones, and 16 would be able to access the internet, whilst 24 would not have access to any electricity. There would be an equal number of males and females. 30 of the villagers would be children, and 70 would be adults. There would be eighteen cars, and twenty five people would have a television. Sixty three would have an adequate sanitation, and twenty would not be able to have safe, clean drinking water. There would be enough food in the village to feed everyone, but there would be twenty who are malnourished, but there would be twenty who are malnourished, whilst one would be dying of starvation, and fifteen would be overweight. Twenty villagers would live in fear of death through armed struggle, landmines, bombardment, or unrest. Thirty-two would be breathing polluted air. Thirty-three would be Christians. Twenty would be Muslims. Thirteen would be Hindus. Six would be Buddhists. Two would be atheists. Twelve would be non-religious. And the remaining fourteen would be members of other religions. One villager would have AIDS. 26 would smoke. One villager would have been to university, but 17 wouldn't be able to read. By the end of the year, one villager would die, and two new villagers would be born, so the population would climb to 101.
0: with that idea of this global village would you join now in a time of prayer and reflection and in this moment of quiet let us remind ourselves of the beauty and fragility of life this day emerging from night this air that moves in waves in and out of our bodies. The blood that pumps, the movement, all of this is gift and none assured. For fragile are our lives, so easily damaged. bound we are to one another by this fragility, sharing a common bond with all who live. So let us remember then to live with the demands of this fragile life of ours, remembering to be gentle as we touch each other and move through the world the softness of the breath of spring may we softly touch and seek to heal and care let us try to live fairly ethically in this world aware of the oppression of others aware of our good fortune Let us remember to take the time to cherish that which is most dear and precious to us and let us give thanks for this gift of life let us use it well living gently consciously and as fairly as we can Amen I don't know if you, you've met the um, Anansi stories, they come from a number of different trish, uh, traditions but I think they originally come from Ghana and uh, the Ashanti tribe and Anansi is kind of a bit like Coyote uh, from the Native American tradition, he's the, the wise trickster um, and uh, manages through his foolishness to, uh, to teach us things. <coughs> And um, Ashanti storytelling is often begun with the words, we do not really mean, we do not really mean that what we are about to say is true. A story, a story, let it come, let it go. And they finish traditionally with, this is my story which I have related. If it be sweet or if it be not sweet, take some elsewhere and let some come back to me. And so it is said that Anansi thought to himself that if he could collect all the common sense in the world and keep it for himself, then he was bound to get plenty of money and plenty of power, for everybody would then have to come to him with their worries and he would charge them a whole lot for his advice. So Anansi started to collect up and collect up all the common sense that he could find. And he put it all into one huge calabash. And when he searched and he searched and he couldn't find any more common sense, Anansi decided to hide his calabash nobody else could reach it. For indeed he was the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man. So Anansi tied a rope around the neck of the calabash and he tied the two ends of the rope together and he hung the rope around his neck so that the calabash was safely on his belly and he started to climb up the very tall tree but he couldn't climb very well or very fast because the calabash kept getting in the way and he was trying and trying so hard when all of a sudden he heard a voice burst out laughing beneath him and when he looked down he saw a little boy standing on the tree's root and the boy shouted up what a foolish man you are, Anansi. If you want to climb the tree frontways, why don't you put the calabash behind you on your back? Well, Anansi was so angry to hear that big piece of common sense coming out of the mouth of such a little boy after he'd thought he'd collected all the common sense into that calabash that he took it off and he just broke it through it and broke it into pieces and the common sense scattered out on the breeze all over the world and everybody got a little bit of it but no one no one got it all and it was indeed anansi who made it happen that way so there is a bit of common sense in all of us and the rules of playing fairly are understood by young children yet it come when it comes to the world of trade Fair play is too often superseded by the drive to make a profit or get a bargain. Bananas. Oh, and I have one that I blew up earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Bananas, they have become a symbol. Uh, of the world fair trade movement for a number of reasons. They are Britain's number one fruit. They alone account for 1% of all UK supermarket sales, which I find incredible. And the demand, as we know, for cheap bananas in supermarkets puts ever more pressure on the producers to reduce their costs. And of course, that usually means reducing wages. In normal trade, Only the tiniest bit of profit from each banana ever goes back even to the country uh, where it was grown, never mind the actual person who grew it. It's a tough trade. Banana growers work long hours in poor conditions. They have to deal with sharp machetes and the chemicals used in the banana fields. And this drive to make a profit from bananas and sell them cheaply in British supermarkets means that children are often used in this trade because children come cheap when it comes to labour. Five giant multinational companies still control 80% of the international banana trade. And that's why every fair trade banana that we buy helps to make life a little fairer for farmers. And in Britain, especially, our fair trade bananas, of which there are some there that we can sample later, they're likely to have come from the Windward Islands, It was Britain that encouraged the Windward Islanders to grow only bananas in the first place. And then trade rules meant that we could no longer give them preferential treatment. Life became unbelievably tough on those islands. Now, however, most of the Windward Island bananas are sold in fair trade agreements. The islanders are using their fair trade premium to improve life and to diversify their crops. So it's only a banana. But it's come to symbolise the craziness and the injustice of fair trade, of world trade rather, rules. It also, I think, that it symbolises the possibility that simply by our purchasing decisions, we can make this world just a little bit more fair. So this is the story which I have related. And if it be sweet, or if it be not sweet, take some elsewhere and let some come back. To you. The, the, I think you know the story of the learned scholar who set forth on a long and dangerous sea journey who um, desiring to impress the crew with the depth of his learning would stop and, and, on the journey and, and question the simple sailors as they went about their duties tell me my good man He would ask a sailor, have you studied philosophy? And the sailor would answer, oh no, I'm just a simple sailor. Uh, I only know how to sail this ship from one shore to the other. Of course the scholar would reply, you poor man, you've wasted half your life. And the following day he would again question the sailor, have you studied geometry, my good man? And the sailor would reply again, no, I'm sorry sir, I just rig the sails and steer the ship. And the scholar would again shake his head in despair and say only, you poor fellow, dwelling in ignorance, you're wasting so much of your life. And day after day, I'm surprised this boat did not get chucked over, actually. <laughs> day after day, the questions went on. Have you studied geometry, anthropology, zoology, psychology, physiology? And the sailor, the poor sailor, could only shake his head in denial. And then one night... The ship foundered in a storm. The the scholar anxiously watched the crashing waves and held tightly to the mast. And the sailor approached the scholar and asked him, ''Have you, my good man, by any chance studied swimology?'' (laughs) And in puzzlement, the scholar could only shake his head. ''Well, that really is too bad,'' said the sailor, ''because you've wasted your whole life and the ship is sinking.'' (laughs) I think this is a story that raised a number of questions that we need to consider in this whistle-stop tour of life's big questions, some of which we perhaps need to explore as a species, some of which are personal and individual, questions that probably no one but ourselves can choose an answer for us. What does it mean to have lived a fulfilled or a wasted life? Who can say? Who can judge that? Surely only the individual who lives the life. The Greek philosopher Socrates is famously said to have exclaimed that an unexamined life is a life not worth living. Now Socrates was well known for never losing an argument and for reducing his opponents in philosophical debates to a kind of gibbering silence. But do you know what? He's not here to defend the viewpoint. So I'm going to propose that it's perfectly possible to live a worthwhile life without self-examination. I think it is possible to live that worthwhile life. I think it is very rare though. It's rare because we humans are generally questioning creatures with minds and thinking processes that seem almost programmed to be dissatisfied in some way. We seem driven to innovate, to explore, to question, to improve our lot, to get more of what we like. We seek pleasure and comfort as well as adventure and novelty. And we are drawn to mystery, I believe, because we are trying to make sense of every belief because we are trying to make sense of everything around us. But for me, one sign of a life well lived is the ability to live with mystery rather than trying to explain it away. No, accepting the limits of our thinking minds, the limitations of our knowledge, accepting the ultimate futility of ever expecting to find answers to certain questions. Can we tolerate not knowing? Can we accept that truth generally exists on shifting sands and that its shape will change over time and circumstances? For it is another human trait, isn't it, to find what we think is the truth, the answer, and then cling on to it for all that it's worth. This surely is the basis of religions the world over that seek to codify and control those little glimpses of truth that some great being points out to the rest of us. I know some of you enjoyed listening to the conversation on Start the Week on Radio 4 this week between Karen Armstrong and uh, Richard Holloway. Um, Holloway has just published his memoir called Leaving Alexandria and he's soon going to be presenting a radio series on doubt. Surely that's the programme for us. He describes his life as being defined by the struggle between public faith and private doubt because for some years Holloway held very public positions as Bishop of Edinburgh and head of the Scottish Episcopal Church. The mistake, he says, was to think religion was more than human. I was less sure whether God was also just a human invention, but I was sure that religion was. Now Rachel Remen writes in her book, My Grandfather's Blessings, perhaps real wisdom lies in not seeking answers at all. Any answer we find will not be true for long. An answer, that's a place where we can fall asleep as life moves past us to its next question. After all these years, she says, I've begun to wonder if the secret of living well is not in having all the answers, but in pursuing unanswerable questions in good company. I rather like that as a description of us at our best here at Essex Church, not having the answers but in pursuing unanswerable questions in good company. And it reminds me of a Hindu story of a time long ago when the gods became concerned that humans were too full of themselves. They thought they knew everything. And so the gods decided to hide truth and wisdom somewhere where humans would struggle to find them. And they thought of all the usual hiding places, on top of the highest mountains. But Brahma said, no, come on. One day, humans, they'll scale the greatest peaks. What about the depths of the ocean, another god said. And again, Brahma explained that one day, humans would invent submarines that could go to the very bottom of the ocean. Well, what about the moon as a hiding place for all that truth and wisdom? And then Brahma explained, one day, humans would reach the moon and he pondered a while and he smiled truth and wisdom I shall hide them in the human heart for most of them will never think of looking there and so when we meet to talk and discuss life's big questions as we often seem to do here at Essex Church what are we doing but exploring in good company with others the tantalising fragments of wisdom hidden deep within us all how fortunate we are to have that time and that spa- space in which to explore for what a gift it is to live in a time when we're free to ask questions for which there may not be answers and what a responsibility we have to use our freedoms to find better ways to live on our planet earth but in the words of that buddhist prayer all beings might be happy and at peace and know their wholeness and get a fair price for their bananas. Amen. So may we be brave and ask questions for which there may not be answers. May we be just and challenge ourselves to live in ways that will help and not hinder others. May we be open and receptive to hear the voices of all those who share this one world that we might create a community of justice and love for all. Amen. Go well and blessed be.